want everything, you know, in a nice bow in 140 characters so he can post it on Twitter. But a thing like the Lord is a man of war, some people are like, oh, that's, that's wrong. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe God bringing judgment through war isn't unrighteous. Maybe it's the most righteous thing in the world. So we don't want to think simplistically about a topic that is actually quite deep, that there's a lot of nuance to. How often do we really take the time to soak in the greatness of God's character? There's no other as merciful, as holy, as strong, or wise. Today, Pastor Daniel will lead us to consider God's glory and how our praise should reflect that. When you really see God for who He is, your reaction should be one of awe and trembling. Let's not get lax in our reverence, because understanding what He has done gives us confidence for the future. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Praise and Problem. Exodus chapter 15, as we begin a new series here as we're traveling through the book of Exodus, now called Sinai. We're just through the deliverance from the Egyptian armies at what is commonly called the Red Sea. Most often it's called the Sea of Reeds by theologians, but it's kind of passed down into kind of common language as the parting of the Red Sea. So now in the book of Exodus, now that they're out of Egypt through the Red Sea, now everything for the book of Exodus, for the book of Leviticus, and into the book of Numbers, everything is going to be about what's going to go on in this mountain that we call Sinai, where God is going to be giving his newly delivered people his righteous requirements that we call the law, the Torah. So that's going to be the focus here. So it's interesting that right as they're through the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15, we get what is commonly called the Song of Moses. So the children of Israel have just been delivered. And so what does Moses do? He begins to praise God. He begins to praise God, which isn't a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing when God does something great that we don't neglect to turn around and say, God, thank you. You are a good God. And I once read a, a commentator who said, Exodus 15 is exciting, but it would have been even better had Exodus 15 happened in Exodus 13. It's one thing to praise God after he delivers you. Having seen God work, it's a whole other thing to praise God in faith before he delivers you. And I thought that's a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? Because we know that hindsight is twenty twenty. What that means is that when you look back on a situation, you see what God was up to, you see how things worked out, and it's very easy to see it clearly. But as people who believe in God, who've put our faith and trust in Jesus, who know that Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are the called according to his purpose, because we know that, we should be able to look at every hardship and circumstance and say, 
Lord, we praise you in advance because we know that whatever's happening, it's going to work together for good. And then that working together for good doesn't mean it always works out the way we think it should. What it means is that every, no matter how it works out, it's doing in our lives what we really wanted to do, and that is to make us more like Jesus. That every circumstance in our life is not going to work out the way we think it should. It's going to work out to make us more like Jesus, which is ultimately what we really want from our lives. When push comes to shove in each one of our lives, we all want to become more like Jesus. So Exodus 15, we begin this new series with a declaration of praise. One commentator said that God's salvific deed is not isolated from human response to that divine experience. What he's saying is that as God delivers, that's that word salvific, it means that when God does an act of salvation, it requires a human response. As God does a work of salvation, of deliverance, it requires a response from us. And I believe that the people of God should worship all the time, that we should live lifestyles that are characterized by worship because God is always at work in our lives, through our lives, that God is always in the process of acting salvifically on our behalf. Sometimes God delays, like we saw in Exodus. God was not as timely as Moses would have him be. But God was at work, doing the work of deliverance. And so my prayer for all of us is that we would learn how to live lives of simple adoration to the Lord in, on the mountaintops and in the valleys, knowing that God is at work. He does not sleep. He does not slumber, but he is continuing his work of salvation in your life and in my life. So let us praise him because he's worthy, isn't he? Infinitely worthy. So let's jump in to this beautiful song of praise in verse one. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea the lord is my strength and song he has become my salvation he is my god and i will praise him my father's god and i will exalt him the lord is a man of war the lord is his name pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea his chosen captives, captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Notice, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Now, you have to remember that for the children of Israel, they were just delivered temporally from the oppression of the Egyptians. And for you and I, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we haven't been only delivered temporally or physically, but we've been delivered spiritually from a much greater oppressor. And that is our own sin, our own rebellion against God. So if they can say, I will sing a song to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, how much more do we have reason to praise? Because God has delivered us so powerfully. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Those which pursued the children of Israel, God has vanquished by the Red Sea. I love verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become 
my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. We need to know him as our strength. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Something powerful happens when we realize that we don't need to be strong because God is strong. And that in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. It's in our weakness. It's when we say, I can't do it. When we say, I can't, God says, I can. But if we say, I can do it, God says, okay, try. That's how it works. So when we realize that we can't do it, that's when God gets to step in. He's our strength. And notice, God is our song. The joy and rejoicing of our own hearts is the Lord himself. I love this. He is my God. I love how personal that is. He is my God. I pray it's personal like that for you. You're like, he's my God. One of my greatest hopes and prayers for us as God's children, and for those of us here who this is Crossroads, this is your, your, your family of faith, is that we know God that intimately that we can say God is the kindest person I've ever met. God is the most loving person I know. God is wicked funny. That we, that we relate to God that personally. That we say, he's my, he's my God. He's mine. We, we want that type of intimacy. And it's very easy to believe in Jesus but not have that type of intimacy where it's not that personal. In a lot of ways, we're really good at keeping God at a little bit of an arm's length because there's nothing more freaky than when God shows up. But, I mean, seriously, because when God shows up, wild things happen. I mean, we have a whole 66 books where when God shows up, things get a little out of hand. We like it a little safe, don't we? That's why I wonder what God is doing in our midst as we worship him in song. I, a lot of people have been talking to me. We get the sense that God wants to break through a lot of our fears in worship. I mean, what would happen if the Holy Spirit really showed up in this place? <laughs> yeah, scary, right? You just don't know what's going to happen because God's going to show up. But isn't that what we really want? That's what we really want. Verse 3 is challenging because notice it says that the Lord is a man of war. That's a scary thought for us, isn't it? That the Lord is a man of war. Now, when we think of war, we always think of it in the negative. But in the face of great oppression, sometimes war is necessary. We, we need to make sure, I mean, the idea of, of war, it's a complex topic. But you think about like when the United States entered World War II. Their entrance into that war was actually a virtue. It had to be done. Or else we would have had the extermination of the people of Israel. Tyranny would have reigned. So we have to make sure when we think about war in this generation, we think about a lot of oppressive wars by, perpetrated by our own, our own government where you're not really sure if it's just or not. But God bringing war on the Egyptians was actually righteous because of what the Egyptians were doing. And sometimes God uses human agents 
to execute judgment. That happens all through the Bible. So we want to make sure we know that God loves a peacemaker. We know that. He loves that. But there are times when war is a virtue. So it's a complex issue. And I could take all, I could do a sermon series on this. And when you start really looking at it and thinking through it, we live in a day and age where we want everything, you know, in a nice bow in 140 characters so we can post it on Twitter. But a thing like the Lord is a man of war, some people are like, oh, that's, that's wrong. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe God bringing judgment through war isn't unrighteous. Maybe it's the most righteous thing in the world. So we don't want to think simplistically about a topic that is actually quite deep, that there's a lot of nuance to. But it says the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots, verse 4, and his army is cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. And this is a retrospective. They've seen, they've just seen this. And they're praising God for his deliverance. Now in verse 6, in kind of the second stanza, it says, Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, and I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So again, he's saying, look, they were pursuing They were oppressing, and God, you stood up with your right hand. That's the hand of power. Most people in the world are right-handed. They do, their right hand is stronger than their left hand. That's a stereotype. If you're left-handed, it doesn't mean that God loves you any less. God just likes some variety. But most people are right-handed. So the idea of right hand was God's power. And he's saying, look, God, you displayed your power against the oppressors by drowning them in water through the wind that he brought that separated the waters and then brought them back together again. Now, verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You, in your mercy, have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Notice all, notice all of these beautiful phrases about the Lord here. Who is like you, that he's glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You in your mercy have led them forth. The people whom you do, you guided them in your strength. You know, we all need to realize that this is how God works Because the Lord is glorious in holiness, because of that, he's fearful in praises. We know that fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because of God's perfection, because of his holiness, when we praise him, we should tremble in his presence. Because of who he is, God does wonders. God stretches out his hand and things happen. 
In God's mercy, he led his people forth whom he redeemed. That is how God works. So God is glorious. He's holy. He does wonders. He's praiseworthy. God redeems people in his mercy and he guides us in his strength. I believe that God wants us to have a God-sized view of him. It's so easy to believe in God, but yet think God has no control, that God isn't strong, that God isn't merciful, that God isn't glorious and holy. But when we see him for who he is, that changes everything. When we realize that our God is not weak, he's not like, you know, like the kid who gets picked on, that's not who God is. He's strong. And he redeems and he guides us in strength. Verse 14, the people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia and the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling, verse 15, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. See, now he's speaking about the future. They have not gone into the promised land yet. And he starts talking about what's going to happen for the inhabitants of Philistia, the chiefs of Edom, the mighty men of Moab the inhabitants of Canaan. See, oftentimes we can believe in God's future deliverances by looking back to what God has already done. So it's not like we're believing pie-in-the-sky stuff. When you look back over your life and you see how the Lord has moved in your life, you can say, look, God, you've taken me thus far, and I believe you're going to be able to finish this in my life. We can draw a lot of strength by looking at what God has done, and we can foreshadow that into the future, trusting that God will remain as faithful as he's always been. I love this because look at what it says in verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them. I like that. That God wants to bring the people in and he wants to plant them in the promised land. He wants to give them a place to dwell for himself. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, has brought you in and planted you. You know, whenever, when I think about planting, I always think of Pastor Bill. Because Pastor Bill loves his, his gardening. It's super cool. I, I'd kill every plant. But Pastor Bill's got a green thumb. And so does his wife, Betty, you know? So I think about that. Like, I think about the care that someone who tends to a garden takes with that garden. And that's exactly the picture that the Lord has given us that he cares for us, that he's tending to us like a garden, that he's bringing us in and he's planting us, he's fertilizing and he's pruning and he's doing all these things that we might be fruitful. And that's exactly what he's doing for the children of Israel here. He's just delivered them and he is going to make them a dwelling place for himself. Notice that, for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. That's a huge thing, that God wants us to be a dwelling place for him. 
There's an old worship song, one of those old kind of Jesus people songs. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. I remember when I first sang that, I was a brand new Christian. I'm like, man, I want that. I want my life to be a sanctuary, a dwelling place for God. Henry Scogel, the Puritan writer, called it the life of God in the soul of man. That's what God has done. If you're born again, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then God has taken his Holy Spirit and he's like, look, I'm going to dwell in you. And God wants, as he dwells in us, for the glory of who he is, his light to reflect out from us. What I love is it's not only about us being a dwelling place, it's about us being a dwelling place, and then we're also a lighthouse. And people come, they want to know about this light. And we share, let inward renewal lead outward. See, because God wants to dwell in us so that he would have a point of contact for himself in people's lives. I don't need to know everybody in the world. You know why? Because God's got people all over the place. You know people I'll never meet. I know people you'll never meet. But we don't need to meet everybody. We all just need to engage the people around us as a dwelling for his spirit, that he might touch people through us. Now, verse 19, it says, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So there's just kind of a recap of what happened. Now, in verse 20 and 21, then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And, the, and Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now notice this. Miriam, Aaron's sister, also Moses' sister then, she's a prophetess. What that means is that God has given Miriam the gift of prophecy. Now notice that the gift of prophecy by the Lord is not gender specific. There are men prophets and there are women prophetesses. You find a number of them in the Bible. Now people always say, what is prophecy? Prophecy is not only foretelling future events. It can be. Most often, if you do a study of prophecy in the Bible, prophecy has two components. One, it calls into question the status quo. A prophet will call into question what we just normally accept. Things that are going on every day, the prophet says, that's a problem. A prophet calls into question the status quo and then energizes a more glorious vision of the future. See, the prophet isn't just critical. The prophet is critical to give God's vision of what the future is supposed to look like. Instead of being this way, we ought to be this way. So oftentimes people, like, they like to be the peanut gallery. They like to be critical of everybody. That's not a prophetic gift. That's just a sinful disposition of the heart. The true prophetic gifting will call into question the status quo, but also say, this is what God wants for us. This is why the status quo is a problem. And one of the things I love about the Lord is the Lord loves to call into question our own individual status quos, doesn't he? Jesus is 
I'm sure many of you who are listening today are both amazed and frustrated by the current political landscape. I always laugh at those t-shirts that people wear that tell you to vote for some alternative pop icon. So whether you're thinking about voting for Pedro or Eddie Vedder or anybody else, I had my team here at Crossroads create us some awesome t-shirts that communicate the real message of this voting season. We need to always remember that Jesus is in control and we can always count on him. So this month, we're offering a fun t-shirt for Jesus' Real Radio listeners that will really make a statement. It's pretty simple. It says, vote for Jesus. And when you join us by partnering with Jesus' Real Radio this month, everyone you pass by on the sidewalk will see your vote for Jesus t-shirt and know who you stand for and what life is really about. It's not a political candidate or party. It's the creator of the universe who loves us and calls us by name. Here's Josh with more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Through the month of October, we're offering each listener who supports Jesus is Real Radio their very own Vote for Jesus t-shirt with a gift of $25 or more. Remember, this isn't just a t-shirt. You'll be accomplishing two things. First, you'll be communicating to everyone around you that Jesus is who is foremost in your mind in these politically turbulent times. Second, your gift helps support Jesus is Real Radio. Every little bit of support that we receive helps us to maintain the reach of Jesus is Real Radio and even expand. So again, if you're listening today and you'd like to get your hands on a really cool t-shirt and help support Jesus is Real Radio, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner and then the big blue button that says T-Shirt Offer. There, you can give your donation of $25 or more to receive your Vote for Jesus t-shirt. Please remember to include the size of shirt that you'd like. We pray God's blessing upon you and join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real.